Hey, so this is a very special episode that I'm doing talking about a show that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, not all of my content is going to consist of reviewing TV shows. Obviously, we talk more about serious topics, but every once in a while, this is a really good show called Lovecraft Country. And when I do topics about when I talk about this, this is a really good show. So I want to do an episode talking about this every now and then. So shout out to Lovecraft Country. And here we go. And beautiful people, we are live. We are here. What is going on? So let's hop right into it. For those who do not know, for those who are unaware, who are just sleeping under a rock, who do not have proper housing, who are sleeping under inside a cave, there is a wonderful program that if you can afford HBO or if you have a cellular or tabletary device, you can download HBO Max and pay $11 a month to watch. There is a great show that I've been keeping up with called Lovecraft Country. This show has fueled my imagination. It's a really good show. Just overall, just a really good show. I uh, I have been thoroughly enjoying it. And I've enjoyed it so much that I've decided to do episode breakdowns, episode for episode for episode. I did one for episode six. And now I'm doing one for episode seven. And if you have not seen this show before, if you are unaware of its greatness, then I can understand how this might kind of uh, go under your head. Because, like I said, keep in mind, this is you have to watch the show. You have to watch the show to, to, to know what I'm talking about. So let's start right in the beginning for me. What was a key moment? The part where Atticus walks in on his daddy having an argument with his with his lighter skinned uh, sexual cohort who walked out and he finds out that his father is, in fact, a closet homosexual and says, and I quote, so you a faggot? Did mama know? And his dad said, yeah. And he ran out and kicked, ran outside. And yard. first, let me talk about this. The dude who's playing Atticus, I think his name is Jonathan something. This nigga is a fantastic crier, emotional. And I think the cameraman, the, this, the people who direct, who write the script, they know he's really good at expressing those angst, angry, sad, and emotional moments. I think they're giving him too many of those moments. Like, even when the episode first opens up, and he wakes up and he grabs the he grabs the girl. Um, I keep forgetting her name. I keep forgetting her name. She, you know what I'm talking about. She's played by uh, Miss Mole, uh, Smule, whatever her name is. And he grabs her and he holds her in this way that's so. Now I will say this: the way he was holding her so intimate, like he just wanted her to comfort him, and that's the type of love I need in my life. That's why I need to find me a beautiful woman who speaks Spanish or French for. Like I want you to hold me tight like that and help make me feel like a baby again. But I feel like just like it's weird that like in the first five minutes, five minutes of the episode, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think they use his vulnerability, his gift to express vulnerability too much in this show sometimes. <laughs> just too much. That was one of those moments I was like, OK, we do it too much. Um when he was having kind of like this little breakdown and thinking about like, yeah, my, all that time he was beating me, I thought it was because he didn't like me. You know, when he was trying to come to grips with his father being, in fact, a closet homosexual, he was like, all this time I thought he didn't like me. I thought he hated me and et cetera, et cetera. You know, I know it was something else, but, you know, I, you know, my stepfather was gay. And um, 
I, that touched a nerve with me because even as an adult now, I still don't know how to take take that. You know, I have nothing against homosexuals, but that was one hell of a way to figure out that shit. You know, what the hell homosexuality was. Um, like I was talking to my aunt about it. The thing that fascinated me about that interaction was. So from this point up into the show, you've seen that he's had a torn relationship with his father. His father used to beat on him. His father was understand was ill understanding and cold, cold hearted. And to be fair, there is a certain generation of black men. I don't know if it's, if it's specifically speaking to the men that were born the same time as his father was. I would say that to the men who were born the same time as Atticus was. But there are there are a few generations of black men that when you encounter them. They're not talkative. They're not expressive with their emotions. They're not going to say they love you. Their whole mindset was work, put food on the table, leave me the fuck alone. Work, put food on the table so you can leave me the fuck alone. There And there used to be a time where there was like this obvious wall in between a father having a relationship with his son. And a lot of times it would be just because the father was working so damn hard. You know, he ain't got time to laugh. He just want to come home, have a beer and just fall asleep. Um, I worry when I saw kind of got an understanding of why his father beat him so much I kind of worry because there are certain traits that I feel like I have that I inherited naturally that I don't want my son to have like for the, fir- for the first half of my life I was, a- I was bullied as a child and I don't want my son to inherit that I don't want my son to inherit the thought process or the feeling that he can be bullied or it should be normalized for a man to put his hands on him in an ill in an ill manner uh, i don't know if i'm gonna beat the shit out of him to get that into his brain but uh, it's just just being real that's just something that's on my mind so moving on from that point then we get to the conversation about um ruby miss malay's sister who was masquerading as a white woman two episodes ago and now figured out that the white man who was giving her pipe was actually a white woman who was pretending to be some guy that she found. And she seems to be cool with all of this. Um, I'm surprised. I'm surprised when they took Ruby. See, one thing about a show like this, I like that everything's surprising me. Like, I didn't know where they were taking... I didn't, like, for example, I had no thoughts that Atticus's father was going to be gay. I really thought Ruby was going to get killed. Like, when Ruby first got taken home at the bar with the white guy, I thought he was really going to kill her or do something crazy to her. Come to find out now she's going to be a cohort, even from what it seems like, to be working against her own sister in secrecy. That little scene in the episode where her, her and her sister show that moment of just vulnerability and just talking, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a nice moment, but it's kind of hard for me to take it as like, oh, this is a really sincere and beautiful moment because reality is Ruby is still plotting to get something out of her, still trying to figure something out. So that's dangerous. Makes me kind of think like, damn, like now Ruby's going to start playing the game on her, on her. When it comes to Auntie Hippolyta, and I think her experience, which at first I was looking at as like filler for the episode, was like I guess like the star star experience. Let me say this. That thing was like seven minute gap where she just was spotting mathematical nonsense when she was on the ship with that gigantic a bionic a woman with the Erica Badufro. I was confused as fudge. 
I had no clue, no understanding what this woman was saying, what she was talking about. God damn, I wanted her to please. Like, I don't I was like, bro, if you don't like what what's going on, please tell me. I'm so lost, miss, please. But and I will say this, when I watched the episode towards the end, I sped through it a bit because I just wanted to see what the point was. But when she started going through time, when she did the I am thing, and she did that thing where she started going through time and she went on stage with Josephine Baker. She went to the battle and trained with the uh, the with the Dahomey uh, Dahomey warrior Dahomey warriors. She there's another experience that I'm forgetting right now that was key. I forgot which one it was, but like I told my auntie, I liked that scene because I liked how it mythologized black greats. I have always been a fan of sci-fi, fantasy, and just all nerd shit. And because of that, I've always had an issue with, and this it's not the creator's fault, it's just I'm a black person. I wanted to see people who looked like me in anime. I wanted to see people who looked like me in manga. I wanted to see people who looked like me in Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, not just black side characters, just a black person throwing just representation. So I think the issue that we make as black Americans sometimes, those of us who are nerds of these kind of cultures is because we don't have any representation in a lot of these incarnations that raised us, that we were raised off of. Like a lot of us were raised off of Inuyasha and Yu Hakusho and Naruto and um, uh, what's the other one? Um, uh, what's that other one? I keep forgetting the name. Like all these other stuff. A lot of us were raised off of these programs. And then when we grow up, I guess we kind of we get, when we get older, we kind of always kind of kind of look at it like an angst feeling because it's like we don't see ourselves in these programs. But a lot of the time, it's not their fault. It's just that I'm gonna tell you. Shout out to George R. R. Martin. George R. R. Martin was the guy who wrote. Um, George R. R. Martin was the guy who wrote. Um, he wrote Game of Thrones, and I'll never forget one time George R. R. Martin. He was talking at a press conference, and a woman in the audience, or it might have been a guy. She, I couldn't tell. Her hair was really long, but she asked him a really good question. She said, "You know, in a lot of your works, in a lot of J.R. Tolkien's works, and a lot of Harry uh, J.K. Rowling's work, all you see is white characters. For the most part, you see white characters. You don't see any mighty minority representation. Why do you think that is?" And he gave one of the clearest answers that I think you could use for most of these situations. This is why this story is so, this is why this TV series is so important to me. He said, the reason why, he said, the reason why you look at the stories that I write, the stories that Tolkien writes, the stories that Rowling writes, the reason why you look at these stories and you see a lack of minority representation is because we are all old white people. And this is what we grew up with. We were raised off Greek mythology. We were raised off Celtic mythology and we're inspired by these stories that, of course, are not going to be as in 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 <laughs> inclusive of, of, of minority representation. So to a certain degree, it is up to the minority writers, the minority painters, the minority cinematographers to tell our stories and to deify our goddess, to, to illustrate the stories of our people, to illustrate the mythologies of our people, like the Josephine Bakers, like the Dahomey Queens, like that one woman who she uh, was riding the motorcycle, who was riding the motorcycle pastor. Um, I forgot her name, but she was the first person to ride across country on a motorcycle. Like people like that, like it's, it's, 
it's it's key for that. It's, that's what it's key for is to change the narrative. I think one thing these these last two years, these last three years have really been a blessing to see so much just just so much of a diversity of black expression in art. There was a time where black art did not used to be so diversely expressive. Every black film was Crip Blood, Crip Number. It was either about a Crip or a Blood or Big Mama about to die. We need to go spend the night at Big Mama's house. I saw uh, that damn tweet Kiki Palmer put where she said Tyler Perry is the black Walt Disney. Miss the modern age Walt Disney. Let me tell you something. And I love Tyler. God bless him and everything he has done for black actors in the art of black stagecraft. With that being said, this nigga is nowhere near old Walt Disney at all. Don't even put that nigga in the same box. I, I, even though I love Tyler Perry's works, there is something to be said about it's not that much different than any of the Big Mama film that I had watched that came out in the 90s, just in play format, and then he took it to movie format. So, bouncing back to Lovecraft Country, I like this show in this episode as a good example because I look at this as black mythology. This is black sci-fi. This is black fantasy. This is what the culture has been missing. A lot of, for those of us who were black science fiction nerds and black fantasy nerds, and I'm going to tell you, that's something I didn't know until, I didn't know, I'm a grown ass man. I didn't know until maybe two years ago or a year ago at best that there is an actual black community of kids who grew up watching Naruto and uh reading Holly Black novels, reading Harry Potter. I didn't know that. I did not. I, I swear to you, I did not know that. Um, it just was a shock to me. Beautiful black women doing cosplay. It just was a shock to me. I didn't know. So I love the fact that black expression, when I look at this show, I love the fact that it's a good example of black expression and just in just different varieties. It's not just the same kind of art form being expressed. Um, I don't know where the hell Atticus went at the end of the episode. I'm pretty sure that's where we get into next episode. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what powers this Ruby have. Can she go in different time? I'm trying to figure out, can she go in different dimensions or can she go in time? I don't know how that works. Um, the hardest line of that whole thing was... But she went back in time to talk to her husband and she said, he said, um, so out of all the things you chose to be named or be called, you still came here and chose to be called my wife. That was touching to me. I was like, wow. I like this show. And that's why I'm going to keep reviewing this show. I think this is what the culture needs. I'm happy that we're, in, we're enjoying this. And I think this is just a breath of fresh air for black art in general. Thank you for being a part of the family. Thank you for being a part of the mob. This is The Greatest Voice. I shall see you guys next Sunday. We shall record an episode talking about this wonderful masterpiece of a show. And until next time, thank you.